I remember that fateful weekend like it was yesterday. It was the summer of 1993, and I was awaiting the arrival of three of my rowing buddies who were coming down to Southern California for a reunion of sorts, and they promised to bring with them a surprise for me. Now, three years prior, we had all been part of the fastest collegiate rowing crew on the West Coast. We had raced to a a fifth-place finish back east at Nationals and even were invited to the prestigious Henley Royal Regatta in England, where we lost to a, uh, a scrappy Irish crew by only a few feet. We were talented, we were cocky, and we liked to have fun. And their surprise for me, hey, Morris, tomorrow morning, we're going to jump out of a plane. We're going to do what? Yeah, no worries, man. It's easy, 13,500 feet, and you'll be strapped to an instructor. Okay, no worries. Who was I kidding? My constant companion for all of my 25 years, my old nemesis, fear, stepped on the scene. You see, I, I had been taught to live in fear by an agoraphobic mother who struggled to remain semi-sane each and every day, as, and she passed on this invisible terror and panic to us kids. Now, being, being the baby of the family, I received the lion's share of her terror. Stevie, the world outside is a bloody, awful, frightening place. It, it's, there's danger in every direction. Don't go outside, you'll freeze. Don't go on roller coasters, you'll fly off. Don't go over bridges without blasting the radio and screaming at the top of your lungs. Don't grow up. Stay with me forever, little boy, and, and save me from my terror. That, mixed with every ounce of dysfunction that no child should have access to, that was life for, for little Stevie Morris. But I digress. Back to that, that weekend. Needless to say, the night before my skydive adventure, I didn't sleep a wink. My friends never knew the panic and anxiety I felt before our races or, or even our practices. They knew the happy-go-lucky Steve. They knew the quick-with-a-joke Steve. They knew the, the fierce competitor that spurred them on to victory after victory. The persona that I showed the world that I was anything other than an absolute coward. Well, the morning came, and with it, so did my friends. And so I jumped in the car, and I giggled nervously. We, we made our, our, started our drive to Lake Elsinore for our jump. It was probably the most terrifying drive I had been on since my mom took me to band practice at age 10. Now back then, that seven-minute drive, I witnessed the worst panic attack I'd ever seen from her. As she literally reached in the back seat, grabbed me, bloodied my shoulder, and to, to try and hang on from this invisible cliff of terror that she was about to fall off. And amid car horns and profanity, shouted at our car because we were stuck in the middle of the road. Through screaming tears, she announced that she prayed to God that next year I wouldn't have a mom. Anyways, so we made it to Lake Elsinore. And we began our one-hour prep and instruction for our skydive adventure. And eventually, we aborted our propeller plane for the 20-minute climb to our exit altitude. I remember such a hot and hot day, and, and the, the San Andal winds were blowing out of the east. And in that hot-packed plane, I experienced an air sickness of epic proportion. I was too scared to vomit, too scared to open my eyes, too scared to even talk. It was probably the quietest I'd ever been in my life. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, this wasn't a normal fear that I experienced every day from pop quizzes and dentists and spiders. This was a white-hot fear that gripped me of soon I shall die. All of a sudden, one by one, my friends started to exit the plane. And then it was my turn. And I got up and I inched my way forward to my instructor, this big, huge, burly guy with a beard. 
And he gave me a few words of encouragement, a few brief words of instruction, and I strapped myself to his harness. Now, I felt as safe as a baby kangaroo in his mama's pouch. (laughs) Who was I kidding? I was about to fall to my doom. We made our way to the door, looked out and down, and I nearly passed out. The only thing keeping me from fainting was the fact that we leaped into oblivion. Now, here's a couple pictures here. The one on the left is me exiting the plane. You can see the, the instructor's having a good time. The, <laughs> the, lower one, the lower one is me a few seconds, a split second later, and now I, it's kind of hard to tell, but my mouth is wide open. I am screaming bloody murder, and my arms and legs are starting to flail. Well, one full minute of free fall, the ground rushing up at us at over 100 miles per hour, and somehow, at 6,500 feet, I had enough wits about me to signal and pull my ripcord, which I held on for dear life as my Jewish heart kicked in to remember that if you lost the ripcord or dropped it, you'd lose your $20 deposit. <laughs> well, I'm, holding on to this, I'm holding on to this thing, and miraculously, the chute deploys. The brakes are slammed on, and we're floating weightless in the heat and the noise of my heartbeat going about 200 beats per minute. Well... All of a sudden, in midair, we stop. My feet fly over my head, and we start hurling back down towards the ground again, twisting and turning. And this goes over and over again. We stop. My feet fly up, and then we start falling faster. And the whole time, the instructor's yelling, Woohoo, boy, you having a good time? How about some more stalls? And, and all I could muster was this pathetic, No more, no more. Me, throw up. And, and somehow he must have looked down and saw my face, and he's like, Oh, dude, you're green. Oh, okay. We'll just, we'll, t- we'll take it easy. Thank goodness. Well, we landed with a dull thud, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see my friends hooting and hollering and high-fiving and laughing, and there I was, sneezing out of control. Apparently, I'd gotten an entire cloud stuck up my nose on, on the way down there. But you know what? I was on terra firma, and I vowed never to leap from a plane again, ever, ever. Oh, fear. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning and uh, everyone who's here, Lord. Uh, you know about everything we go through. You know about our fear, and you want so much for us to live without it, Lord. You are more than worthy and mighty and capable of conquering them. We just need to connect with you, Lord, to, uh, to let that happen. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for this wonderful morning, Lord, and we just pray and we know that you're here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this Sesame Street sermon this morning has been brought to you by the letter F for fear. And fear exists everywhere in life, doesn't it? it look around this room. I mean, we're, we're people. We're big, we're small, we're beautiful, we're saved, unsaved, we're funny, we're not so super funny. We're, we're humans. And at some point in our lives, we've all experienced some degree of fear. Now, fear can... It can keep us on the right track. It can help us to survive. It can help us make good decisions. But fear can also paralyze us. It can hurt us. It can hurt others. And it can keep us from experiencing the most amazing love, life, and adventure possible on earth, which is God's intention for each and every one of us. But but where does fear come from? And before we get into a couple psychological aspects of, of where fear comes from, remember the first feeling or emotion that Adam experienced in the garden right at the fall of man, right as sin entered the world. If you remember Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, the Lord calls out, and the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Adam, of course, answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid 
because I was naked, and so I hid. Bingo. Right there. In addition to the origins of fear, many, many scholars say that, that fear stems from one's developmental years, which shaped our views and experiences. Or tragically, fear is associated or triggered by a certain traumatic situation or event. Now, earlier, I mentioned my mom and being raised in a home fraught with fear. And I, I didn't do this to elicit your compassion in, in as much as basically to explain what I learned at a young age. But what does fear do to us? There is no doubt that fear and anxiety can, can cause emotional problems and definitely physical issues. But to be honest, fear is an absolute thief. It robs us of joy, faith, and strength. And it steals our freedom. It can even be used as a hideous tool by the evil one to, to hold us captive. But perhaps worst of all, fear, it separates us from God's amazing love. Now, why, as Christians, do we struggle with so much fear? Aren't we supposed to call upon God in times of anxiousness and concern? Of course we are. But why does his peace seem to elude us no matter how many times we pray? Why do we struggle from repetitive fears when we have such a mighty and awesome God? Well, I believe, and many would agree, that, that oftentimes it's a lack of understanding and connection to God. Now, as I mentioned, past traumas, issues, and the residue of this stuff, it strangles our connection, our relationship with the Lord. We have to work on this connection, this intimacy with God every single day to grow close enough to trust that he really can conquer our fears. But why can this be so difficult, and why don't I just get it? Now, using my own example, I was saved when I was 27 years old, a new creation without a doubt. But I had 27 years of, of dysfunctional upbringing, of perversity, of bad choices, of ugly thoughts built up that battle against the reality of the gospel. And upon my decision to follow Christ, I unfortunately didn't stop making poor, painful, and hurtful choices. I kept that going. I would separate myself from God one day, and then I would follow him the next. But if you ask me what was more real in my life, what the, the God's grace and his peace and love, or, or the, what I've been following all my life, if you ask me, if I were truly to be honest, it was what I knew and practiced most often, and that was fear and my own plans. I knew God was bigger than the boogeyman, okay? But years of conditioning had taught me one way, and sometimes my demons were more real to me than God's presence and his promises. I didn't understand that through my connection and my identity in Christ, he really could beat my fears. For the moment this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, please take them out, and we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 35 middle of the book. Now, this is another Isaiah. Basically, I'm going to put in for free of charge a little bit of filler since we're all getting our Bibles ready. That's my Isaiah, obviously a proud dad. And we're going to be talking about, thanks, Caleb, uh, we're going to be talking about a different Isaiah, the Old Testament Isaiah. And if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, there are 66 chapters. And most scholars point out that it's really broken into two sections. Now, the first section, <clears throat> excuse me, the first section is God is pictured as full of wrath and the tone is dark and filled with law, fire and brimstone stuff, doom and gloom. Isaiah was constantly warning and calling on 
Israel, Judah, the Jews, to repent from their sins and come back to God. But in the second part of Isaiah, God is pictured predominantly as a God of grace and provision, and the tone is lighter and more future-oriented. It speaks of Christ the Messiah and future salvation, sort of like the difference between the Old and New Testaments. It, one of discipline, revenge, fury, and then starting with Matthew, salvation, renewal, joy, and eternity. And the 35th chapter of Isaiah kicks off words of God's redemption and joy. But now, up to chapter 35, things were not going so well. Lots of war, lots of judgment, and if you just happen to read chapter 34 on your own one day, it's pretty darn graphic and bloody. But by far the most plaguing problem for the Jews in Isaiah's day was fear. They fought a brutal enemy in Assyria who was renowned for torture and brutality, Israel was surrounded on all sides by, by her enemies and divided within her own borders. Good leadership in the kings of Israel was few and far between, and it left the people lacking direction. Against these fears now, though, in chapter 35, Isaiah promised that they would not have to fear anymore because God would save with divine retribution. Let's take a look at the first three verses. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Ah, the, the wilderness. Used to describe parts of nature, right? And in the Bible often a desolate, lonely place to wander for long periods of time. It is not a happy-go-lucky place. How many times have we sat on the sidelines in fear of being sent to the wilderness? Or perhaps we are in the wilderness right now, and the brutal, all-encompassing fear that exists keeps us panicked, frozen, unable to move out of that wilderness. Now, last holiday season, 2009, at our, at our home, we hired an outside company to hang our Christmas lights on our house. And to save money, we decided we would take down the lights ourselves. And so after the holiday, I decided to go ahead and, and go about this adventure. I won't bore you with the whole scenario, but at one point, I was lying on our roof, second-story roof, about 25, 30 feet up, lying as flat as I could, spread-eagled, sweating profusely, terrified to move in any direction. I was in a wilderness, too fearful to move an inch. I probably lost about eight pounds in water weight. Okay. But look here, look here at the passage. The wilderness and wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. Good things are happening here, in a place where things don't usually grow. Joy and singing, they shall see the glory of the Lord. The excellency of our God. I'll tell you what, when you are, when we are in the fearful peril of the wilderness, no matter what it is you are going through, one thing is often true. It is difficult to see God. When we are smack dab in the midst of our pain, our fear, our anxiety, it is very difficult to see him. But he is right there next to us. We have to realize that. He is in front of us, moving ahead of us. Or simply, he is holding us in his arms. We must practice this truth over and over again until we really do believe it and can draw upon it. Because this is how we make our own wilderness bloom and blossom. And how the midst, 
In the midst of our nightmare, the sun rises and the curtains are drawn. He gives us the strength to do so, but we have to seek him, believe him, and let him own it. Look at verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Sometimes we are fearful that we are too weak to accomplish anything good for God's kingdom. We are afraid to even try, and this happens to us at all ages. Look at, look at our church, so diverse, so many different ages. We are, we, are one, we are blessed with the awesome senior population. And if you know them, some of them throw themselves into any and all activities with no concern about feeble knees or lack of energy or anything. They trust in the Lord. They know he still has plans for their lives, and they attack it. But there are others who perhaps feel they are too weak to serve or make a difference. I heard the story of a gentleman who was in his later years. He was retired, and he had just lost his spouse. The days were bleak. His faith was strong, though, but he also was content to just let the days slip on by until it was time for him to be called up with the Lord. Now, on top of that, he had a heart condition that stemmed from his diabetes, and that discouraged him even further. The one thing he had beside God, he had a pilot's license and a love for flying. Well, one day he was approached by a pastor up in Seattle who was starting to work with a homeless shelter, starting a new ministry for abused women and their children. And this pastor was looking for a volunteer with a unique skill set. So upon accepting the pastor's challenge, this, this older man, this guy who was just ready to wait and die, now he goes to the shelter, he picks up a mom and her children, and he, he flies them high above Seattle, above Puget Sound, so they can see the world from another view, a higher view, a view above all the pain and trauma that exists down below. It literally lifts them. It renews their spirit. It gives them new hope and new focus. Now, this guy, he now gets it. He's not too old, too feeble. God can still use him in a big way to touch the lives of others. Okay, flying with a guy with a heart condition and diabetes doesn't sound like a super safe thing to Steve, but you get what I mean. When we get the picture, when we lose the fear that we are too weak to do anything or too old or too feeble, man, do we get to blossom and be strengthened just like the fertile wilderness in Isaiah's chapter. Look at verse 4. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. We could stop right there and close in prayer, couldn't we? I mean, this is a type of verse that just gets you and grabs you. But... It's not so easy just to make all the fears go away just by reading this one verse, huh? That's because we have to meditate on the words we, and understand them. What do we fear? Is it man? Is it the evil one? Look what happens here. God will come with vengeance. This means he will take care of business, right? I, I spoke of this about a year ago in regards to forgiveness, but it's, it's related to vengeance Sometimes we are so fearful to connect with the person or situation for fear of being hurt again. Or we sit and we wait to try and exact vengeance. You don't have to. We don't have to. This is God's job. He is more than capable of taking vengeance. Believe me. Now, do we fear a situation that is just too big for God to handle? How many times, I'm guilty of this, how many times do we... Do we get to the point where we reach out to God 
And when he doesn't deliver in our time frame, we grab the situation back and announce that we will take over. Since it doesn't seem that God is interested or capable of solving the situation, we switch from his plan A to our plan B. And where does it get us, though? Look here, it says, he will come and save you. There should be a thousand exclamation marks after the save you part. How often do we make decisions based on our own fears instead of based on seeking the justice of God? We, like those who have gone before us, we allow old scars, ancient hurts, and painful regrets to prevent us from following God in faithfulness. We cannot afford to let our fears govern our decisions. God can do amazing things that we can't even comprehend, but we must let him do it in his timing. Be strong. Do not fear. He will come and save you. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. This is perhaps my favorite part of the entire chapter. I mean, listen to this. Blind gain sight, the deaf get to hear, the dumb sing. This is good stuff. What amazing things could we accomplish without fear? What would we risk? Would we love again after having lost love once or twice before? Would we get up to bat after having struck out a record 20 times? Would we try to connect with an old friend from a relationship that did not end well? Would we trust God again after the death of a loved one? Satan would love us to stay on the sidelines, trapped in the solitude of our nightmare, never to serve, never to believe, never to love again. Why is love so easily crushed in our lives? Oftentimes it's fear. But look, look what God does here. He changes things. He can change us. He is all about change. That's what he does. The author and speaker, Neil Anderson, some of you are familiar with him, <clears throat> excuse me, refers to us in regards to fear, that we are, we are like having a clogged sink. We are clogged with fear. So, so think of an actual sink in your home. It's clogged. You stand in front of it, and you yell at it, open up! It's probably not going to happen now, is it? it it's got to be unclogged with something. Drano, Roto-Rooter, whatever it is, we are clogged with fear. And we have to be clogged with something. And now that something is God and scripture and love and prayer and fellowship. And like we saw earlier this morning in the video, becoming part of a life group. And practice, practice, practice as we believe and understand and connect with Christ. He can, we, we can believe in him. And and rather than believing in our fears, we could be like the blind and deaf that are given sight and sound. It's a faith thing. Do you see it? It's a faith thing. Not so easy. Faith is not so easy. But we can do this. You remember in Matthew 9, Jesus asked the blind men, Do you believe that I am able to do this? He meant heal them and give them back their sight. And they replied, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes and they could see. Now, this was big time faith. 
I mean, they, they were blind. They couldn't see him. They, could, they didn't know of his miracles. They couldn't even see whether he could really heal. But they believed. And now here we are. We can see the scripture. And we have seen others go before us. And we have witnessed God's work all around us. It's a faith thing. Believe me, I'd rather believe in God's strength over my own. Because I've, I've seen my results. In your, in your handout... I put down a few questions to help us focus on God when it comes to our fears, to help us ask questions about our fears or what we intend to do about them. And these match up well to the verses we've just read. So we'll, we'll take a moment. We'll go over them quickly. Number one, will this decision cause me to see God in places where I have been blind to his activity previously? Am I really seeking him in this situation? Will I take a moment out to see beyond my current issue or fear? Number two, will the situation cause me to hear God's word in places and ways I have not previously heard it? Am I searching scripture for answers or seeking the wisdom of a trusted believer? Will I listen to other believers? Will I listen to God's word? Number three, will this decision excuse me, lead me to shout his truth in places and times I have previously been silent? Can I be used to help others or to provide a testimony of, of how to, God has rescued me? Once my fear is conquered, will I be a living testimony and seek to help others? Back to our scripture. And the thirsty land springs of water. Again, and the thirsty land springs of water. I don't care who you are or who you think you are. You, we, are capable of amazing things through him, through God. Lastly, verses 8 through 10. A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks a road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy in their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now these final verses have multiple meanings. And implications. First and foremost, this represents the coming Messiah and his sacrifice and redemption, which afford us salvation. There's a future peace, and all will be made right. Now, what's our job? To head down that highway. That's what our job is. I stand at the door and I knock. Revelation 3.20, you know what comes next. Our part of the bargain. And once we do so, we get to tap into everything Christ. If you know Ephesians 6, we get full armor of God, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. I mean, boy, with all that at our disposal, it's amazing that we have any fears. Amen? This is a first step in combating our fears. We need to be saved. We cannot battle our fears successfully on our own. These verses talk of the road that we must commit to start on. Have we chosen the right path? Ask yourself, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed you are a sinner? We are sinners. Do we believe Christ died on the cross to give us eternal life? If you have, all the power, strength, and protection are ours. For example, as written in Ephesians 6. Now, the highway of holiness. If we have taken a step toward God through his son, Jesus Christ, then we are on this road. And Isaiah says, the unclean shall not pass over it. No wild animals will be on the road. People, we have amazing protection from God always and forever. He promises this to us. 
And yet, we, we cower in fear of things known and oftentimes unknown. I know. I know for some of us, fear just comes naturally. If you have spent any time with me or my family, you've probably heard the story of my roller coaster adventure on California Screaming at Disney's California Adventure. Patsy loves to tell this story. Well, believe it or not, all my life I have been terrified of roller coasters. Go figure. Anyways, we went to the park with another church family, and I psyched myself up to finally ride this ride. California Screaming. The name says it all. From a dead stop, you accelerate to like 3,000 miles per hour in like the space of 20 feet. That's at least what I thought. Anyways, twice I got in line that day and with my kids and the other family, and twice I bailed out before getting to the front of the line. Finally, later in the day, Patsy said, come on, come on, you got to do this thing. I'll write it with you. So I psyched myself up, and I mustered all the strength I could, got in line. We actually made it onto the car, and there we waited to be launched to our deaths. <laughs> Hello, skydive adventure all over again. All of a sudden, I heard this hissing noise from beneath the car, and then silence. And then we were shot out like a rocket. I was slammed back in my seat, eyeballs left back at the station. Now... Patsy describes these initial seconds of me stamping my feet, hitting my head, and screaming at the same time. And it was basically, ah! <laughs> now, all of a sudden, we go up this big hill. We make a sharp left turn. And she looks over at me, and she simply says, relax. Just enjoy it. And I looked at her with the most terrified eyes. And all of a sudden, she said back to me, she's like, oh, my gosh, you really are scared. I looked at her again. I'm like, what the heck do you think I've been telling you all these years? You, you can't make this type of horror up. And then we went upside down. Look, I know fear, but, but I also know the Lord. And I know that, that that cross over there, he did not hang on that thing for nothing. And there is nothing that he is not capable of. There is no fear that he can't conquer. Pull me aside sometime and ask me about hanging Christmas lights this year. I made Noah do it. No. I'm just kidding. I did it. But you know what? It was God's strength up on that ladder. It was God's strength and courage up on that roof, not mine. Verses, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. This is an image of God's kingdom, a final resting place where his justice is established and evil is destroyed once and for all. This is it for God's people, especially after the anguish of the previous chapters of Isaiah. This is it for all of us who know him, from gloom to glory, from depression to ecstasy. He promises us a heavenly kingdom where we get to dwell with him in a beautiful place, not a wilderness, with new bodies, not feeble, blind, and deaf ones, and there shall be pure joy and peace. Peace, the antithesis of fear. To wrap up this morning, where are you right now? Is there something holding you back from living the life God has planned for you? Is there this one thing that you cannot overcome, a fear that literally sucks the life out of you? Well, you're absolutely right. You, you may not be able to overcome it, but God can. God can conquer it. And you may say, Steve, 
but I've tried all my life to beat this thing. I believe you. We all do. But have you allowed God to try to work on it? Really asked him to work on it, given him the time to do so, the room to do so, and the willingness to be an active participant in the healing. You know, fears are sometimes built up over a lifetime, and sometimes they come and go. But the truth is, they don't actually go as quickly as they come, do they? What are you a slave to? Are you locked in bondage? What is your current wilderness? Are you ready for it to bloom and blossom? The people of Isaiah's day were definitely ready, but they continue to run from God and seek sin. Up until chapter 35, their strength as a nation was sapped, completely surrounded by their enemies. Did you know that that they had not even won a major battle in 90 years at the time Isaiah, at the time this chapter was written? Yet the prophet Isaiah still spoke of God's glory, redemption, and the coming of the Messiah. Is your connection to fear stronger than your connection to God? If it is, God invites you back at any single moment, no matter how many times you've run from him. I know. I've run from him countless times. And, and I finally figured out that instead of running from him, you just run toward him. And if you are a believer, you are a child of God. And that is your true identity. Not some fearful, cowering, spineless castaway. You may see yourself as this, and you may act like this, but God sees a beautiful, precious child. And he says, shh, be still. I am here with you in the darkness, and I love you more than you can ever imagine. And you are strong and courageous and wonderfully made in my image. And if you have accepted his son into your heart and life, you can be assured of three things. One, you are accepted. John 1.12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in him. Two, you are secure. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And three, you are significant. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is really who you are as a child of God. This is your true identity. And when we understand this and connect with God, our wildernesses can begin to flourish and become a place to grow, move forward, and perhaps one day even help others. What is the antithesis of fear? it's peace. God says throughout Scripture, do not fear. Isaiah was not the last guy to use this. It's throughout the New Testament. Pursue the Prince of Peace and live dependent upon him and his strength, not your own. Abide in him who is beyond the world, the world of our fears. Sometimes simply we must ask for his strength and venture out and do the one thing we fear most, right? He's ready to lend a powerful hand at any moment. Just call upon him. Call upon him in any situation, small or large. And if you have started on the highway to holiness, then you are saved, and God assures you will have eternal peace. But in addition, what we really need down here sometimes on earth is internal peace. And this can also come from the cross and salvation and leaving behind the alienation of the world and declaring our new citizenship in God's kingdom. God granted us this status. We have to take it, believe it, meditate on it, 
Accept it, joyfully exhibit, and just simply own it. This morning, we have looked at fear, what causes it, what it can do to us and those around us, and we've looked at what the Old Testament says about fear and how even in the midst of our turmoil, pain, and anguish, God can replenish us, strengthen us, and save us. Excuse me, but there is one aspect of fear that is more important than anything else, and that is fear of the Lord. This is a healthy, wonderful, reverent, and awesome fear. This type of fear, fear of the Lord, brings with it wisdom, respect, faith, and the acknowledgement that nothing is greater than the Lord. Hear that? Nothing is greater. You cannot tell me one thing that is to be feared more than the Lord. And this helps us reduce every single fear to a subservient position. Now, let's be honest. And there are things out there that are real in our lives that we fear. But when we put it into a real, realistic per- perspective, nothing is greater than the Lord. A C.S. Lewis describes the fear of the Lord as awe of the Lord. Not awe of our fears, because so often we view our fears as bigger than God, don't we? Do not stand in awe of your fears, no matter what they are. Stand in awe of the Lord. And this fear of the Lord does not lead to a despair like like our own worldly fears lead us to. Now, fear of the Lord may lead to a healthy conviction, but it also leads to trust, adoration, confidence, and trust. Wait, did he just say trust twice? Yes, I did say trust twice. Trust in him, people. Trust in him because this is what it's all about And this trust in the Lord, this leads to love. And when we love the Lord, it paves the way for us to realize how much he loves us. And he does not want us to live in fear, but in the light of his mercy and grace. When we understand how much he loves us, we we can begin to love others and even love ourselves. And then what happens, Grace Hills, what happens when we truly understand and connect with God's unconditional, perfect love, we see and understand what John wrote of in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. If you know the Lord, you are part of a perfect love. It's time we left our fears behind and see that God is greater than it all. He loves you. He loves me. He can cleanse our sin. He can renew our lives. He can save and he can shine bright and glorious in the midst of the wilderness. Have no fear. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much again for being here, for loving us, for all that you do for us. But so often we forget, we forget how great you are, that nothing is greater than you. And that we need to fear you more than anything else, Lord. Help us with our fears. We, we commit them to you each and every day. We'll make mistakes, but you welcome us back every single time. Take these fears from us, Lord. Only you can. Save us. We thank you so much for your love and your grace. And now, Lord, this morning as we continue with our service, as we take our offering, we just pray that you will use everything wisely to your, to your glory and your wisdom, Lord. We thank you for all the provisions. We thank you for the service. We thank you for everything that you do for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.